You see, the Bible talks about pride. Pride is what lifts you up. Being lifted up with pride. And yet God says one of the things he hates is pride. And what was the thing that was Satan's problem? Pride. And what causes a man to go his own way? Pride. And what causes a person to rebel against the will of God? Pride, because it puffs you up. And you become so deceived that you don't even detect it. And yet it's so destructive. And so he says in verse 2, you're puffed up. And have not rather mourned. So here's Christians that was not responding to sin in their church the right way. And they're being rebuked because of it. Instead of individuals dealing with a particular problem, they just let it go. It doesn't really matter. Everybody's like that. Oh, so God's church should be like the world. Because, well, the world is like that. This isn't the world. This is the church. Do you expect God's people to live a holier life than the people in the world? They should. Now look what else he says here. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. The person who does this deed should be taken away. But that hasn't happened. So Paul says that uh, we need to pray. So he says here, when you come together, pray about this situation. Now look there in verse 5. In verse 5, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, physical death. He would still be saved, but he'd be physically dead. You say, what? You'd pray for that? How much do you love the church? Christ says he loved the church and gave his life for it. Well, who is the church? That's God's people. That's the believers that have trusted Christ as Savior. If you don't love them, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen? If you can't love God's people that you do see. So the Lord lays these things on us. And then he makes this statement here in verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In other words, what... Sin should be dealt with. You're glorying about it. You're puffed up about it. As though, hey, we're under grace here. Under grace means you can live any way you want. And there's no consequences? No. We are to be disciplined by grace. It means that you and I should do what we do because we love the Lord. And God's love for us should motivate us to do what's right. This is really what the Lord suffers about in the 11th chapter. So we haven't got there yet, but it's working toward that, believe it or not. So now look what he says in verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. You see, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, He paid for all of your sins, gave you a new birth. The new birth is without leaven. It means it's without a sinful nature. It has no sinful nature. 
So here you are as a believer allowing the yeast from this old leaven to get into your Christian life and ruin your testimony. So God says it needs to be dealt with. So this morning, I want you to understand this, so that you'll know to do this next Sunday. Next Sunday when you come to church, I want you to leave your old sinful nature at home. You say, well, you can't leave it at home. It's inside of me. All right. I want you to pretend then that you left it at home. So when you get in the car, you don't have road rage. You don't holler, yell, and scream, bloody murder at your wife and your kids. What? You left the old sinful nature. You left it at home. And then when you get home, take it and put it in the trash can and close it. Monday morning, when the trash men come, they can take it away. I've often wondered, can I go and have surgery and have the doctor look inside of me and say, ah, there's his old sinful nature. Just cut it out. Wouldn't it be neat? But you see, what God did with us is he didn't remove it. He gave us a new heart. He gave us a new birth. He gave us unleavened loaf of bread. That's why you and I can go into all the world and from this bread that we are, we can feed the multitudes. See, he took the little loaves from the kid and he multiplied it and then they were fed from it. Christ is the bread, but you and I are these little loaves of bread. We're supposed to go in the world and feed them. Now, what do you think we're supposed to give them? Leavened bread or unleavened bread? Unleavened bread. We're supposed to give them through our life and through the message that we have, unleavened bread. But if we allow the old sinful nature to permeate our life, you won't give a clear message and you won't live a pure life. Sin will ruin you. You can't go home and watch pornography and it not bother you. You can't read dirty magazines and books and listen to junk. It'll ruin you. It'll rob you of your power that you have between you and God. You say, well, I just tolerate a little bit. Don't tolerate any of it. Keep your testimony clean between you and God. Now look what he says here in verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now look at the next verse. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Because, see, that comes from the old sinful nature. Don't allow that old lump, that old nature, that old birth, destroy your Christian life. Seek to live as holy, as godly as you possibly can. And when you detect a little leaven in your life, confess that to the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. Lord, I found another speck. And this is why David in the book of 139 Psalm prayed to the Lord, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Reveal it to me, areas in my life that ought not be there, so you can deal with it. It's called the principle of replacement. You see, you can't just get things out of your life. You have to replace it with something that's better. See, I've never had to go through life. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I just filled my life with things that I will do. 
So if I do all the things God says to do, voila, I don't have time to do all those things that I shouldn't do. Because God gave me enough to do. So you see, the Christian life isn't a negative thing, it's a positive thing. Do what God says to do, and you won't have time to get in trouble. My life is so scheduled and so busy, I'd have to schedule it when they get in trouble. I just, it's just, that's where you got to think, and you got to live that way. Now, this is important down through here, but look at the last part of verse 8. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there's things God says He wants us to do. Now, also I want you to take your Bible and look here in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians in chapter 8, and look now in verse 1. He says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge does what? Puffeth up. That doesn't mean that you're spiritually minded, spiritually mature, just because, well, I've been through the Bible or two, three, a few times. Yeah, but has the, do you obey the Bible? It's not how many times you've been through the Bible. Has the Bible been through you? Did it go through you and help clean your life, or you just knowledge puffeth up? Because you can answer people's questions. Well, I know the Bible. I can quote all the verses and all that, and I can find everything I want. That doesn't make you godly. That doesn't make you spiritually minded. You see, it's whenever it permeates your mind and permeates your life, where it changes you. If the Word of God doesn't change you, you don't know the Bible. If you don't live a godly life, you don't know the Bible. I don't care if you can memorize every word in the Bible. You don't know it unless it changes your life. If you don't live it, you don't understand it. Because there's things that God teaches in His Word that if I know I do this, God's going to beat the daylights. I mean, I believe that. But that's a restrainer for my life. That'll keep me from doing certain things. Knowing how God works, works. Look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And look down there in verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 4. Where it says, Charity, which is love, suffereth long, and is kind... Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, and here's those little words, is not puffed up. You see, love is something that God wants us to have. It doesn't exalt the man. Love exalts the other person. When you love somebody else, you don't try to hurt them or destroy them or put a stumbling block in front of them. When you love other people, then it makes you guard your testimony. It's without leaven. It doesn't puff you up. Love is clean and pure, the divine love that God has. And so, does the book of Corinthians say anything about this being puffed up stuff? Yeah, I think it does. But let me give you one more verse. Colossians chapter 2. The book of Colossians and chapter 2. Colossians and chapter 2, right after the book of Philippians, Colossians chapter 2, and look in verse 18. And you'll notice this puffed up thing is because of sin in your mind, in your life. 
Verse 18 says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly, and here's those two words, puffed up by his fleshly mind. So you can think all that you want, but you need to know what the Word of God says and apply it to your Christian life. Now go back there to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 10. 1 Corinthians and chapter 10. Time is moving on. I'm just getting started. We should be out by one. When days I'm going to do that? But not today. 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, I want you to see this, and I'll just mention this very quickly. It's here for a reason. If you'll notice in chapter 10, he's now telling them that this loaf of bread, this loaf of bread, God has done the same thing for every one of us. And He's also, as a body of believers, there's something He wants all of us to do together. So in chapter 10, I just wanted to jump over there right quick and just show you this in verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless. Now, in the very next chapter when he talks about what Christ did and gave thanks and said, this do in remembrance of me. Gave thanks. You see, we should be, and when we take the Lord's Supper, it is us giving thanks. Thanks for what Christ did for us. And you'll notice there in verse 16, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? See, when Christ died, He died for everybody. So that those who trust Christ as Savior, what His blood did, He did for all of us equally. It forgave us of all of our sins. And so what He did for one person, He did for everybody. So that when you see that and understand that, and then you look there in chapter 10, verse uh, 1, Moreover, brethren, I would that you not be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all baptized unto Moses, and in verse 3, all did eat the same spiritual drink, all did drink the same spiritual drink, the rock which is Christ. All of this is in here. All, 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 all. So when Christ died, He did the same thing for all of us. But when the children of Israel, even though all of them came from Egypt and all crossed the Red Sea and all went into the wilderness and all were given the, the manna from heaven, all, He did it for all. But some of them God was not well pleased because they didn't all become thankful. And some did this and some did that and some did this and God had to deal with them. So later on, he tells us in chapter 11, he says, and many are sick and many are weak and many are dead. Because, you see, what God did for some of us, he did for all of us. So that we have this communion that brings us together. What makes us in a union with Christ is because of the blood that was shed for our sins. He did it for all. And then you'll notice there in verse 16, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This is the unity of the body. So all of us together, we form the body of Christ. We're like a loaf of bread. The church is like a big loaf of bread. This is where the world should come whenever they realize 
We have the bread of life. We have something to offer, but it's that which brings us together. And this is why we have our fellowship, our communion together. And God doesn't want yeast in it. He wants unleavened bread. So in our Christian lives, we're supposed to live a unleavened life so that we don't have our old sinful nature permeating our lives because it ruins everything. It ruins the individual. It ruins the church. And this is why today I don't think God's people don't have much power. We're not shaking the world. It's like they don't even know God's alive. Because I believe somewhere along the line, so many of God's people tolerate just a little bit of sin. It's not that bad. But it permeates your whole thinking until it controls your life. And it can ruin your life. And this is why when you go back here to chapter 10, it says some of these that God was not pleased with. But now look in verse 17. For we being many are one bread. That means you were one loaf. You're one loaf. All of us together is like a loaf of bread. Does God want there to be sin in this bread? Any leaven in the bread? No. But you see, individuals are individuals. And you can't make anybody do anything. This is why it's so important that we understand this. When Christ came into the world, He did something that was for all of us. Now look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. We were all a loaf of bread permeated by sin. And once it's permeated by sin, you can't get it out. So what the Lord says is you need a new loaf. There are many people trying to deal with this old loaf. And they try to send it to church thinking that'll make it better. Maybe if I give some money, that'll make it better. Try to live a good life and try to make it. It, won't, it doesn't change this. So the Bible says God loves us. He hates our sin. But the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. So we're all condemned. We're all in the same boat. But the Lord says He loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. We've all sinned. And God says you cannot save yourself. You can't change yourself. Once the yeast is in it, you can't get it out. Try it with a loaf of bread. Put it in there and then try to get it out again. So you and I needed a Savior. And everybody's heard about Jesus Christ. Or most people, I would say. Christ came into the world, had no sin, didn't have to die. So what did He do? Well, He took our sins, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And said that if you and I, if we would believe He did it for us, He would put this payment to our account and make us a new loaf. He didn't change the old one. He simply makes a new one. I get to be a new piece of bread without a sinful nature. And so this new birth is born of God. If it's born of God, God's my Father. And God had no sinful nature, so God doesn't sin. My new birth doesn't have a sinful nature, so it cannot sin. My old one still does, but my new one doesn't. And that's why I'm not supposed to let this one influence this one. 
So I'm one individual with these two births living inside of me. And I'm the one that decides which one I feed and which one I obey. And sometimes you want to serve the Lord, but you tolerate just a little bit of sin in your life. And it can ruin your testimony and maybe even take you to an early grave. And God's going to have to chasten and discipline. And many times that happens to God's people. So remember this. The only thing you have to do to go to heaven is you must believe that when Christ died, He paid for your sins. If He paid for my sins, that means I don't have to pay for my sins. That's what I mean. I don't have to pay for my sins. You say, but you're guilty. Yeah, I know I am. But grace means I don't have to pay for my sins. I don't have to pay for them. He's going to give me something. He's going to give me His righteousness that I didn't earn, I didn't work for. If God gave me His righteousness, that would make me as righteous as God. I go to heaven on what He did. That's the best news in all the world. So as you go through here, you see these things. And then He tells us, why are you trying to provoke God to jealousy? You see, down there a little bit further, He talks about there is the communion of the devils. That's the ones that owe sinful nature. Don't mix this with what God has for you. Because these two don't get along. The spirit, the flesh, hate each other. They don't get along. You can't have fellowship together. So in your Christian life, you have to understand that. In the church, the only reason there's bitterness and backbiting and all this ugliness and jealousy, and all, that's because there's, a, there's, there's leaven. Somebody's allowed leaven to get in and ruin them, and so now they're trying to ruin somebody else. Can you detect leaven in somebody else's life? Spiritual discernment is what gives you that, which you can detect when somebody else is trying to contaminate you with a virus. You hear a lot about that going on today. I believe this is more serious than Ebola outbreak of any kind. It's that old sinful nature that gets the best of us. And sometimes using people to destroy our own Christian life. And so he says there in verse 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than God? That's why God says, I'm going to have to deal with and chasten you. And so when you get over here to chapter 11, which I want you to take a quick look at, 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, he says in verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the night or the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, thanks, blessing, he broke it and says, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So these people were, yes, having the Lord's Supper, but they were not remembering the one that they were supposed to be doing it for. It was the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's, it's a divine invitation from God Himself to partake so that you realize that when you take that little juice, it was His blood that was shed that made us all the same. He died for all of us equally. And only those who trust Christ as Savior, believing that His shed blood was the payment needed for your sins, and you believe that, that's what causes all of us to be one in Christ. And when you take that little piece of bread, this is why you and I, we all one loaf. We're one loaf. And we're supposed to try to keep our lives clean and pure for each other. Not only for ourselves, but for each other. That's how we show the church 
the Lord, we love each other. Because we know sin in our life will ruin our life, but it'll also ruin somebody else's life. Because we influence other people. It permeates. And that's why God says, some people are not doing this judging what I'm saying. And that's why he says, let every man examine himself. So this morning I want you to do two things. One is if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him as your only hope of going to heaven? Would you believe that when Christ died, He died for you. He paid for your sins. And the only thing you have to do to go to heaven is to accept Christ as your Savior. And you can do that right where you are. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to give anything, stop anything, promise anything. It's a free gift. And if you trust Christ as Savior, He'll save you. And then once you trust Christ as Savior, this is something God wants us to do because we love it. And we remember, the only thing that makes me and you in one person of Christ is the blood that Christ shed for our sins. And what He did for me, He did for you. So shouldn't we both be thankful to the Lord for what He did? And for us to get along, we need to be one loaf. No yeast in it. Be unleavened bread. So that God can not only bless us individually, but us collectively. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here this morning and never trusted the Lord, would you trust Christ right now as your Savior? Would you believe that when He died, He died for you. He paid for your sins. That's why He came. He loved you so much. Friend, we were all lost. But when Christ came, He paid for all of our sins, for all individuals. Some will and some won't believe it. I pray that you will believe it. And if you never trust the Lord, I'm asking you right now, if you just slip your hand up and put it right back down. By that you mean, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. Is anyone all before we close? Just slip it up real quick. Put it right back down. Anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as Savior, you're God's child. It is the will of God that you partake of the Lord's Supper. Remembering what He did. It's the cup of blessing where we give thanks to the Lord for what He's done. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one for being here. And Father, we ask your blessings upon each individual to weigh these things in their own mind because our testimony is so important. The impact, the influence that we have in other people's lives, that it be because we care and we love each other. Sin tolerated in my life can cause somebody else to lose their testimony to say and do things they shouldn't do. Help me to be the right example. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.